Hello and welcome to Faithless Brewing. Tonight, I'm showing once again by one of the most beautiful hosts in the whole magic scene. To my top left, we have Canadian Idol, Amazing Drummer, better known as Mana Simbal, Zach Ryan. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing real well. Uh, I had an exciting weekend uh, just recently where I got to drive out to Stratford, Ontario and do some judging. It was a it was a great, great time. Got to see some good magic played, make some interesting judge calls, and uh, happy to get back to the cardboard, or digital cardboard, as we do. I'm going to get right back to ask you about some weird calls. Right after I introduce our beautiful CEO, the one behind it all, the original faithless brewer and the lover of the looting. Daniel, how are you doing? Doing great, Mord. Just gearing up for Christmas here in Jerusalem and then packing my bags. I'm coming home soon. Yeah, we're getting back. Came that on the, on the USA. We're going all West podcast once again. This West and East thing is not, it's not for us. We're all West team. Nothing weird. And I'll be stateside soon enough. So we just need to get moored up into the US. If only I could get a visa. <laughs> It's like a two-year free. It's like a, a year and a half delay to get a visa nowadays. Mm. It's super stuck. So, before we get into any brewing or particular cards, Zach, do you have any fun anecdotes to tell us about Ontario or Toronto, was it? I heard a Canadian name. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, just driving out into the uh, rural farmlands of Ontario, is a, it's a very relaxing experience. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Um going along the roads and uh every it was like it was almost like mile markers there would be a tim hortons which is kind of like the canadian mcdonald's i guess we could call it um just just dotted throughout the province but it's always a reasonable place to stop in and and take a rest stop if you need to and then i had a couple of interesting judge calls which are not worth getting into uh in in that they are very detailed but uh there's some interesting flubs and silly things that players do still in magic the gathering but excited to see that uh, at the top tables, people were playing very tight, very polite, very clean uh, magic back and forth and uh, not trying to get their opponents just just playing straight up magic. Mm, that's great. That's good old mashi. That's right. So what do we have in store for today? What's the reason we have all gathered under this podcast? Well, we've got our new card of the month nominated by the Faithless Brewers, and that's going to be Rivaz of the Claw. So we're going to be talking about brewing ideas with that. And if we have time, a little bit of a weekly roundup of some very exciting decks that uh, some of our favorite brewers, some famous, some infamous, have been playing in modern. Some infamous brewers, because why not? So Rivaz of the Claw... One of the really, really few creatures I have ever seen with four paragraphs of text. Well, to be fair, one of them is just Menace. Yeah. This does have less words than Questing Beast, thank goodness. I was just checking on Questing Beast. It has roughly the same amount. No. It, like, there's not that much of a difference. It's much easier to grok. So we've got Rivas of the Claw, one black red for a legendary creature via Shino Warlock 3-3. It's got Menace. It has an ability, tap, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon creature spells. Once during each of your turns, you may cast a dragon creature spell from your graveyard. And whenever you cast a dragon creature spell from your graveyard, it gains when this creature dies 
exile it. So those last two abilities are essentially one ability linked together. Rivas has one more character than Questing Beast. Sure. But again, oh my God. It, it, it's much easier to comprehend it because it's only got one keyword. It has a mana ability that's very simple to understand. And it's got the ability to cast things out of the graveyard with the drawback that we all assume on modern card design. Yeah. I'm just shocked it's more worthy than even Questing Beast. Just a lot more forgotten today, she's. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do with this card? What can we do with this card? We've got some rules notes here. Types, Viashino and Warlock, both useless, unless <laughs> you have a deck where you want a diversity of creature types. Instead of having the same, if you want everything <laughs> to be different, you're definitely not playing any other Viashino or Warlocks. That sounds something Bolo would say. So the actual good ability is tapping for mana... That only casts dragon creature spells, and every word of that is relevant. Casting creature spells means no activated abilities, right? So if you're thinking, I'm going to use this mana to unearth a Phyrexian dragon engine, They're not. or to eternalize or cycle a timeless dragon, great ideas. Not going to work, though, with Rivaz. You have to specifically use it to cast a dragon creature spell. Similarly, if you're thinking, oh, I've got a clever idea, I'll use Nameless Inversion to be my dragon spell. Well, you're welcome to do so, but that's not a dragon creature spell, so you cannot use Rivaz's mana for that. The same is true for this uh, Lurus-esque ability, where you get to cast once per turn a dragon creature spell from your graveyard. Again, that's only actual creatures, right? No tribal instant sorcery shenanigans. And this last ability is, as Zach said, a continuation of this casting from the graveyard effect. As you put the spell on the stack, it, this triggers and it tries to add this extra text to it. I don't think there's any loopholes to really matter with this. Can you think of any? No, not particularly. Okay, so whatever you cast with Rivaz from the graveyard, it's now, it's on its last legs, right? It's its final trip, even if you don't cast it via Rivaz. Uh, that's true. So you may be thinking, well, I can just cast the same dragon over and over again. Uh, you cannot do that. You cannot just cast your Shivon Devastator X equals zero every single turn. Um, that would be sweet if you could, but you cannot. All right, so it's a lot of text, but I mean, the big question is what does Rivaz actually good at or what is it good for? If you're going to build around Rivaz, what are you trying to do with the card? What are you looking to get out of it? So I think you have to look at it in two ways. Either at being a way to jump from 4 to 6 mana, from 3 to 6, like allowing you to cast a 6 drop or easily a 5 drop by the next turn, or focusing on the second ability in that it will allow you to recast a, a, a dragon from the graveyard and use the mana for another one in your hand. So either try to cast a heavy hitter for 6 or try to cast two smaller ones for 2 or 3 mana. I'm not saying dragons because I might be casting chaselings. Well, those are dragons. Technically. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all about the mana ability, and more important than that, there is a rule of eight with Sark and Fireblood. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that card in a moment, but it's also a three mana uh, sorcery speed card that generates two dragon mana on your next turn. I'll actually, it might be one. Two, yeah. Yeah, it's two. Okay, good, good. I was going through dragon support cards, and there's a ton of them that add mana. Because yeah. the, the running joke with the dragons is that 
they're super expensive. <laughs> they're powerful, sure, quote unquote powerful, but they're impossible to cast. You can't like put them into a regular mana curve, so they need some kind of help. And we'll talk about all these options in a little bit. But yeah, there's a ton of cards that say, oh, here's some mana for casting dragons. Good luck. <laughs> As an aside, they, they actually pushed Dragon Tribal into being a mildly standard playable deck during the M19 era. Um, didn't actually do that well, but it was something you could do. So there, there's a good number of like random cards that are just floating around. Um, that was the set with Nicol Bolas hmm. the Ravager, um, Dragon's yeah. Horde. Uh, and uh, Orb of Dragonkind was in the same standard. So they, they were trying to make it happen. Uh, they tried to, to make Fetch happen. Um, and while Fetch is still happening in Modern and Legacy, uh, Dragons, not so much yet. Hmm. Uh, can't use Re- Revaz mana to flip your Nicol Bolas the Ravager. No. Uh, That's so sad. I already, yeah, I already noticed that. Uh, but you can use mana from Orb of Dragonkind or Dragon's Horde when we get to those. So there are a number of other things. Right, not Orb of Dragonkind. Oh, yes, you can. Yeah. Orb of Dragonkind, you can. Yeah, yeah. my bad. Orb of Dragonkind is the exception. Yeah. Maybe you can also from... From... What's the name of the Planeswalker? Sarkhan? Uh, I just looked it up. I don't think so. No, no, only cast. No, no, it's only Orb. Yeah. So. All right, well, maybe we should just jump right in. Let's just take a look at some of the cards you might put into your dragon deck. I've divided these into two broad categories first category is the support cards these some of these cards are not actually dragons they just help your dragons then the second big category is okay what are the dragons that are actually worth playing for the purposes of being expansive and comprehensive i'm looking at the entirety of the modern card pool although i suspect that when we actually get down to it rivaz if it's playable at all is more of a pioneer card i don't know if you guys agree with that or not I would certainly agree with that. It depends on what shell, but likely. I don't completely agree. Which is a shame, because the changeling thing would would solve a lot of our problems with filling out a dragon deck. (laughs) But there isn't really uh, enough changeling support in Pioneer to be happy with. I'm going to jump the gun. I'll dine in and say my first build with Rivas is going to be in modern with a changeling shell alongside Kalia. Sure. Okay. Well, speaking of Kalia, so support cards. And again, these are not necessarily dragons, but they help dragons. Yeah. There are three lands that are somehow special with dragons in some way. There's Crucible of the Spirit Dragon, which is a storage land. You can put unused mana into the Crucible and at a later turn, remove storage counters to get a burst of mana for casting some dragon. There's Haven of the Spirit Dragon, which adds any mana to be put towards a dragon spell, so this would be good for your five-color dragons deck. <laughs> Unfortunately, this mana does not contribute towards casting Rivaz himself, so there's that tension again where, like, okay, you can't just play... If, if you did identify a bunch of, like, rainbow-colored dragons and you had Unclaimed Territories, Cavern of Souls, Haven of the Spirit Dragons, you would not actually be able to cast Rivaz in that deck, which is kind of annoying. But the Haven does sack to save a, play, a dragon from the graveyard. And finally, Temple of the Dragon Queen, which is a land that comes into play tapped unless you can reveal or control a dragon, and you choose a color and it becomes a land of that color. So it's kind of like a fable passage that 
can be untapped as early as turn one if you have the dragon support. Yeah, you, you as as with Fable pack, Passage, you pick a single color, and that's the color it will be per, in perpetuity. So, Correct. And what's nice about Temple is that whatever color you choose is just a regular land. It contributes to spells, instant sorceries, or rivazes. Doesn't care if you're casting dragons or not. Yeah, but in most cases, you have to be playing at least three colors for this to be better than a pathway, I would think. Um, otherwise, it's just... It's just more dependable. But dragons encourage us to play more than more than two colors in many cases. As does Revaz. Revaz mm-hmm. providing mana in any colors you want. Absolutely. Speaking of mana, beyond the lands themselves, there are various cards that produce mana or provide cost reduction for your dragons. Zach, tell us about some of these options. Yeah. So uh, we've got a lot of great enablers, starting off with Sark and Fireblood. This is one of my favorite cards uh, on this list and something I played a lot of in Standard. So for one red red, you get a legendary Planeswalker Sarkin. It starts with three loyalty. It's got two different plus ones. Plus one, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. It's got plus one, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon spells. And it's got a minus seven, create four five five red dragon creature tokens with flying. With some of the other dragons that we can play in these decks, uh, that minus seven is definitely lethal. Um, But additionally, this card is just good in that it's uh, sometimes difficult to remove, although Obliterating Bolt, uh, if that's in your opponent's deck, definitely can take him down immediately. But you do at least get a rummage out of it, um, which is frequently going to be useful in that you may have too many dragons in your hand uh, and you're looking for mana, and and it puts it in the graveyard where Rivaz can later pick it up. Yeah, if you believe in Sarkon, with Ravaz, you now have Rule of Eight, right? You have the ability to play eight cards that can take you from three to six for your dragon spells. Sarkon, we keep trying to put him in decks. I mean, he, he seems so sweet. He looks great. Look at those pecs. Yeah, this dude is shredded. It's just a loyalty problem. Yeah, he definitely, definitely got like an eight pack there, but he just doesn't have the loyalty. Mm-hmm. He's strong, but he's not loyal. He just needs to defend himself a little bit better or survive. Yeah, but for me, for me, this I think this is going to be one of the key pieces of any of these decks that I build, especially in the Pioneer format. I think I want to play a number of Rivaz and a number of Sarkin uh, Fireblood. That's definitely where I want to start with having five, six, and seven mana dragons to get uh, as a payoff. Next up, we've got a, a much more simple card. Uh, it's Dragonlord's Servant, one in a red for a 1-3. Hmm. Dragon spells you cast cost one less to cast. Immune to Stomp, so that's pretty good. Uh, and uh, it's just a nice little goblin shaman uh, that's uh, attempting not to get eaten by dragons. A cute little boy trying to show what its fate. Yeah. Next up is a card that requires a little math for one of its abilities and is just generally very useful, if, especially if we're going for the full-on rainbow version of the deck. We've got Orb of Dragonkind from AFR. So for one in red, you get an artifact. It has an activated ability, one tap, add two mana in any combination of colors, spend this mana only to cast dragon spells, or activate abilities of dragons. So this card can be used to flip your Nicol Bolas or unearth your dragon engine. And it's got another ability, one in a red tap, sorry, red tap, sacrifice orb of dragon kind, look at the top seven cards of your library, you may reveal a dragon card from amongst them and put it into your hand, the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, I did some quick math here. So in a 60 card deck, if you have 10 dragons, this is a 74 chance, a 74% chance to hit. 
12 dragons, 81%, 14 dragons, 86%, and 16 dragons for 90%. Um, I don't know how many playable dragons that we're going to find that there are, but if the number is less than 12, uh, activating this ability becomes not the greatest proposition. Hmm. I mean... It's a fascinating mana rock for sure. Yeah, it's one of the most interesting ones. Like a better mindstone. Provides much needed ramp, and then at the end of its usefulness, it potentially trades itself for a dragon. Yeah. But maybe not, because how many dragons are you going to play? That's that's exactly what Zach is identifying here. I mean, in any Rivas deck, I can see us running more than 14 dragons, which is more 86%, which is a number I'm comfortable with in most scenarios. Well, you say that, but we have to figure out which ones are actually playable and at what price point um, that they are, right? Because yeah, if we find that we have, you know, six different playable dragons, but they're all five mana or more, I don't see us getting up to uh, the number 14, 12, maybe. And then last but not least, we have the Dragon's Horde. Uh, this was uh, in M19. The standard set I mentioned that was uh, full of Dragon Tribal. So for three mana, you get an artifact. Whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, put a gold counter on Dragon's Horde. Uh, you can tap to remove a gold counter to draw a card for no cost, no mana. Uh, and you can also tap this for any one, color, one mana of any color. Worthy of note is that this enters the battlefield untapped. You can use it for one mana immediately. So if you have one mana removal in your deck, playing this on turn three... And playing your one-mana removal means you uh, are not bleeding as much tempo as you might otherwise be. Um, the downside of this card is it's on three, so it's in the same slot as Ravaz and Sarkin Fireblood. But if for some reason you're not playing Sarkin, then this is maybe a good option for you. Yeah, I mean, it's much more powerful than Orb of Dragonkind. They both contribute to your ramp, but Dragon's Horde casts anything. They both ostensibly draw cards, but Orb requires you to actually sacrifice it, whereas the Horde just provides card draw throughout the game at very little cost. But yeah, you would expect more from a 3-mana card. That's that's the crux of it. Can your curve afford to just take turn 3 off? You know, turn 3, Dragon's Horde, and... Play a Manolith? Yeah, Manolith, and maybe Fatal Push something if you're lucky. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, or Strangle. There's some good cards. Uh, and there may be some other good cards True. that we get to mention as we go along. All right, so that's mana production, cost reduction, speeding up your dragons. Another way to survive to get the dragons online is to just focus on removal. So we do find a lot of dragon-adjacent cards that are designed to just help you interact in the early game. Some of them remarkably good, especially the, the red instance that we're going to go into. All right, what do you like here, Mord, in the dragon removal category? So to start with, we have two really similar cards. The first one being Dragon's Fire from um, Forgotten Realms, which is a two-mana instant. As an additional cost, you may choose a dragon you control or reveal a dragon card. If you do, Dragon's Fire deals damage equal to the power of the card you reveal to any creature planeswalker. If not, it deals three damage. So it's a lightning strike that doesn't go face. Or it can do more damage, in general, around 5, depending on the dragons you are running. Which is actually pretty big, because it's a dragon, it's gonna be like a lightning strike that might kill a Sheldred if you have a dragon on board or in your hand. Or even a Kiora. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you're gonna have a 7 strength dragon, but it's the dream. You might. And then you have Draconic Roar, which is a more aggressive version of the same card. 
And I think a lot worse, actually, because I just noticed it doesn't target Planeswalkers. Human Instant, this 3 damage to any creature. If you reveal a dragon or control a dragon, it's here in place. It's 3 damage to the creature and to the controller. Which makes me think Dragon Slayer is actually a much better choice for a removal of choice. And then to round out the uh, red removal, um, we have Spit Flame. It's very simple. Two and a red for uh, four damage to target creature. So uh, first of all, on that base rate, not being able to target Planeswalkers, it's probably not playable. But it does have a really interesting application as a sideboard card. Because you have whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay red. If you do, you can return it from your graveyard yeah. to your hand. So it's re recursive removal for creatures. So a dragon sideboard card, possibly. Really good against stuff like Mono White, Dragon's Midrange decks, who are constantly getting a, a removal for borderline, ex like for no card disadvantage, is amazing. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the Foul Tongue Invocation. Two in a black instant. If you reveal a dragon from your hand or control a dragon, you get to gain four life, and the base effect is just a Diabolic Edict. So three mana for the Edict. That's not a good rate, but no. if it's three mana for a Diabolic Edict plus four life, that's actually kind of decent. Yeah, my issue is just thinking of most of the kind of decks that I would want to play it against. They're going to sacrifice their worst creature and then just kill yeah. you because that four life gain is probably not enough. Probably not enough. It should be two CMC. Right. Absolutely. Hmm. For two CMC, your Edicts have stuff like either... Um, like for no downside without any requirement they get split second or flashback or if you have a Liliana they discard a card I think having a dragon is enough of a requirement that gaining 4 life stamping to it would be enough yeah we do also have a sweeper in the dragon yeah. space so draconic intervention 2 red red as an additional cost to cast a spell exile an instant or a sorcery card from your graveyard it deals X damage to each non-dragon creature where X is the exiled card's mana value. If a creature dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead, and then you exile the Draconic Intervention that you just cast. Um, the problem with this card, of course, is that you have to play a high enough density of expensive instants and sorceries to guarantee that you're going to be able to cast this, and the first things that I think of that I want to be playing is, like, I guess other sweepers, in which case just play the other sweeper that you want, and then don't play this card, is my guess. And that sweeper would likely be Crooks of Fate. Right. Oh yeah. Destroy all dragons, or destroy all non-dragons. That's cute for three black black. Efficient to the point. One mana too expensive. Yeah. The, the downside of this one, of course, in my opinion, is I think this is just going to be worse than Extinction Event a lot of the time, when you get that because it's four it's five mana and it doesn't exile yeah and i feel like the on on five it's very unlikely that you're actually going to use the upside of your cards surviving you haven't cast any yet this is on five and you're casting it so you don't die and if you have dragons which are generally going to be the biggest creatures on the board it's not pretty likely you're gonna have to play a board wipe right most times you want to board wipe into dragons Right. Can I see this being useful against, like, Angels or, like, Enigmatic Incarnation in Pioneer? Sure. But other than those matchups, I don't think so. So everything we've mentioned so far, the lands and the removal and Ravaz, assume that we're filling our deck with a lot of dragons. But I think we haven't named any cards yet that are in themselves enough of a payoff. 
maybe we want to look for cards that just like aggressively pay us off every time we get a dragon. We can think of these as dragon tribal bonuses or lord effects, if you like that term. Things that just scale the more and more dragons we have. And there are about 10 cards that do something like this. Mm. Are any of these playable? I'm not sure. I think one of them in particular is maybe two. Which was that? So this might be because I'm planning to go on a changeling route where I'm planning to really lower the curve. But Dragon Tempest is an insane card. Is it? So for one in red, you got an enchantment. Whenever a creature with flying enters the battlefield you control, it uh, gains haste until end of turn. And then whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, it deals X damage to to uh, any target where X is the number of dragons you control. Uh, yeah, I see with changelings, this would be good for sure. Yeah, yeah. if you have multiple one drops or two drops, like play this in turn two, turn three, go like, I don't know, play a one drop, play a two drop, tab a vial, and deal six tap. You can deal up to um, two sixes and one one, so seven damage distributed as you want. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to me because it's so cheap. It's only two mana. That's a thing. So you commit to the Dragon Tempest first and then get paid off in future turns. By contrast, another red enchantment, Crucible of Fire, kind of does the opposite. It kind of assumes you're going to first deploy dragons to the board and then cast your Crucible of Fire, which gives all of your dragons plus three, plus three permanently. So that could also be a nice way to just suddenly get a big chunk of damage out of nowhere. Um, for Mord's idea, there's also the Scourge of Valkus, which is two red, red, red for a 4-4 flying dragon with the same second trigger as uh, the yeah. Dragon Tempest. Whenever this or another dragon enters the battlefield under your control, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of dragons you control. It also has fire breathing. So uh, between those two <laughs> cards, you have eight cards with that exact line of text. Whenever a dragon enters, shoot, shoot something for X. I kind of like that. I mean, and I love how Scourge is itself... A dragon, so you're right. You're getting towards your quota right there. Yeah, I, I don't know how you take advantage of that, but it's an exciting combination. Yeah, also Rebus really helps you in double, triple casting. Mm -hmm. Once you got your, like, once you play Dragon Tempest, play a Rebus externality. If you get to untap, you get like five, six mana to cast either changelings. You get to cast changeling from the graveyard, which is gonna be extremely common if you're in a Magda deck. The changelings actually have to die. So you will get you actually play from you will get the second part from Rivas going. And you don't care if anything gets exiled, you're not a graveyard deck, so you nullify the downside of Rivas. Mm. And Magda also has a sideway synergy with the dragon deck in that you can sacrifice five treasures to put a dragon into play directly. Exactly. So you're already playing the dragon, so maybe you have some one-ofs that are super powerful that you can grab with that, um, but that you might end up casting other games. And if I draw them, they don't suck as much as usual when you're playing Magda because you have Rivas. Right, exactly. There's like a nice overlap there. All of that really helps. I don't know, it actually seems not... And Kalia is bound to draw you two or three cards every single trigger, so you can use your lands for Kalia and use your rivers for changelings. Maybe I'm insane. I'm, I am insane. Maybe this idea is insane. You're definitely insane. But this might be, this might be one of the good insane yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I am insane. Maybe the idea is not that insane. Um, one of the other cards from this section I want to mention is Colgan's The Storm's Fury, just in that this is a, a pretty reasonably powerful effect. You've got a, a five mana, four, five flying. Whenever a dragon you control attacks, creatures you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. And it's also got dash for three black, red. 
Uh, I believe Rivaz allows you to dash it out of your graveyard. So um, it will exile at end of turn, but... 100% like dashing a Ragon with Lurus. It has the same text. Yeah. Wait, does that mean it comes back to your hand? No. I don't think so, because much like Flashback, the only way to trick Unearth is to put the thing into exile. But Rivaz isn't an Earth thing. You're just dashing. Yeah, it returns to your hand, like Ragavan used to. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're 100% right. Yeah, sorry. That's my mistake. Okay. Synergy unlocked. Our first dragon synergy unlocked. <laughs> we finally found one. I like that I got you slowly into my Magda track. Yeah, well, I just like Springleaf Drum. So every time I see Magda, I'm like, oh, how am I going to tap it? Oh, Springleaf Drum. <laughs> no, I just love my favorite. I just love the blue changeling. It's my favorite changeling. No, I understand Moth Dust Changeling is better, but Moth Dust Changeling isn't, uh, is not playable in, is not legal in Pioneer, uh, yeah, yeah. the format where I think Rivaz belongs. Oh, Magda is also Pioneer legal. Yes. So we have an idea there. What I like about Kolagun the Storm's Fury, apart from the dash synergy, is, well, it's in the correct colors for Rivaz. This trigger, whenever any dragon control attacks, all your creatures get plus one plus zero. If you can trigger that with, like, two dragons in play, your entire team is now attacking at plus two plus so. If you have three dragons, it's such a huge, huge power boost. Now, that's a bit of a pipe dream. However, like, we can we can maybe start squeezing in, like, the cheaper dragons, like a Phyrexian dragon engine. All right. Sprite dragon. It's got double strike, and you pump it. Double strike, 4-2 Phyrexian dragon engine, and it's representing a lot of damage. I think Coligan Storm's Fury is definitely worth... A uh, closer look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another card in this category that has some pedigree is Thunderbreak Regent. Two red, red, four, four, flying. Essentially gives all your dragons ward, pay three life, but they didn't have that templating back then. Yeah. Wraith isn't irrelevant. This is one of the most playably costed dragons, period. Full stop. Like it's just four mana, four, four, flying with a reasonable trigger because you're going to be in a mildly aggressive deck. Ward pays three life. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. And yeah, that applies to all your dragons. So again, I mean, they, they can just point a removal spell at it and they'll have an efficient play, but they'll at least take some damage. And finally, a card that, you know, I don't know if this card is actually playable, but Rith Liberated Primeval from Dominaria United. It costs five. It's a 5-5 five, five flying ward two. It's in Naya colors. It gives all your other dragons ward two. But a cool synergy that was pointed out by Judge Rob in our Discord is with the card Dragon's Fire that Morb was talking about. Dragon's Fire is very likely to deal excess damage to a creature, yeah. and it turns out that Rith, if you manage to deal excess damage to something, Rith spits out an extra dragon token every turn. So that's a nice little synergy that you could pair yeah. in the same deck. Rith also has the upside of, in a lot of games, you're going to be attacking with creatures with reasonably high power. Uh, your opponent's going to be blocking them in attempts not to die. And then you just cast Rith. Its end of turn trigger will trigger if you dealt damage, uh, excess damage to a creature or Planeswalker earlier that turn. And you just cast the Rith in your second main phase and then the trigger goes on the stack. So your opponent might block, not realizing that they're giving you a 4-4 by doing so. Worth noting, if you ever play something with Trample and a Wraith, remember you have to assign XX damage. Don't just send everything at your opponent. Like, if you sing with a 5-5 Trample and your opponent blocks for 3, make sure to only hit them for 1. If you want yep. that for 4 Dragon. 
Right. You have to deal excess damage to the creature. Yeah. Also, I just noticed Wraith is fucking huge in that art. I had never noticed. There's so many big, tiny dragons. Dragons for scale. <laughs> They've added dragons for scale. Yeah. They added uh, dragons for scale, which is a huge. Yeah. And then there's a few more really high-end dragons that are just not quite um, competitive here, but maybe they're good uh, with, with tribal bonuses. Things like Lathless, Silumgar, and Udavara. These are all six mana or more. Yeah. They're just a bit chuggy, but like in some of our brews, there might be like a one of if you have like a Magda to tutor it up because they do have very powerful effects. Yeah, getting an Utbara with Magda, like, if you're playing Magda, you might swing. Like, if you can get an Utbara pre-combat, you're winning if you have two or three idiots. Yeah, whenever a dragon you control attacks, create a 6-6 red dragon creature token. Uh, pretty good, I guess. You know, if you're into that. So we've mentioned Magda a few times because of her synergy with Changelings, and she also wants you to have some dragons in your deck. Magda belongs to this sort of miscellaneous category of just cards that happen to work with dragons in some way. She's one of the better cards. Uh, Kalia's come up a few times as well. Kalia Xena Seeker, that is. Mardu Colors for a 3-3 flying human cleric. ETB, look at your top six. You get to take one angel, one dragon, one demon. She's not an angel? Holy shit. See? I had this exact talk when you, were not, when you weren't here. Yes, she's not an angel. The wings are part of the cosplay of sheep. Like, she has demons, angel, and dragon things I, stuck to yeah. her back. Like, I just, for some reason, I thought she was like the yes, demon dragon yes. angel. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Now I'm annoyed. Wild. Thank Sorry you. to derail you, but I'm just, no, what I the mean, fuck? <laughs> I asked that the exact same question, like, 40 minutes ago. I mean, she looks like an angel, right. but... And she acts like an angel. Then she would actually be good. <laughs> she acts like an angel, looks like an angel, and gets an angel. If Kalia could find more Kalios, that would be insane. I thought, that she, I thought she did. Oh, she can't. Oh, that's so weird. Oh, See? that's so weird. Thanks! All right, anyway. <laughs> I love that we're all on the same track. <laughs> all right, so Kalia... Uh, to get back to our point, Kalia is definitely a nice little card draw engine for a, this kind of mixed tribal deck. Do you think it's actually worth playing in a deck that just has dragons to draw into, uh, Dan? I used to think that maybe because you, you you would be able to draw two cards from time to time by hitting both Kalia plus a dragon. Right. And now that I know that I, I was mistaken, I don't think so. Wow, she isn't an angel. What the fuck? Also, just uh, jumping back to our the math from the the orb of dragonkind uh that was digging seven cards deep and we required a density of 14 dragons to make that somewhat reliable this is six yeah. so i'm guessing we need 16 or 18 dragons maybe even 20 yeah, super easy to do in changelings not so easy to do on right regular dragons on changelings you can get up to 20 24 which will borderline guarantee you a two draw drawing two dragons however in the white color, uh, I really like Orator of Ojutai. It's one and a white for a 0-4 bird monk. As an additional cost to cast mm. it, you may reveal a dragon card from your hand. It has defender and flying. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, if you re re reveal the dragon, you draw a card. So I like that card a lot. Flying Wall of Omens for Pioneer, I really like. Yeah, exactly. And um, if you're playing a slower deck, if you want to deploy a Sarkin Fireblood next turn, or... Rivaz, uh, this might be a good place to be. 
Yeah, turn to this, turn to Sarkhan or Rebus is really good at just holding the board. An 0-4 and a 3-3 are really good against aggressive decks. Mm -hmm. So all these cards assume we're filling our deck with some amount of dragons. I guess we have to ask, I mean, what are the good dragons? What are the playable dragons? We, we don't tend to see a lot of dragons in constructed magic these days. I mean, off the top of my head, there's Glorybringer. That's always a, a banger in uh, Pioneer. And it's currently a, a mirror breaker in the black red decks because their their removal of choice for two mana has shifted to power word kill, which can't kill a Glorybringer. By the way, that's going to be an advantage that we get to uh, get with these decks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That should have gone in the re removal section. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Shivan Devastator. Just in general, I, I love uh, Creature Ball, which is, what is it, Tangle Elemental? Something like that. It's X green for uh, XX. Uh, and this is... Ivy Elemental. Yeah, the, <laughs> Ivy Elemental. And this is X red for Flying Haste XX. And this synergizes nicely with our, our friend Rivaz, uh, as well as Sarkin, in that it's just, you know, it, it's I as big as you see. can pay for it, and it's as small as you need it to be, and it's a great way to add dragon density to the decks. Um, although, generally speaking, this kind of card is definitely underpowered. Yeah. Yeah, I've kind of gone through the entire modern card pool and looking for dragons, grouping them by mana costs. It's slim pickings until you get up to, like, four and five mana the cheaper dragons, not so good. We can generously call Shivan Devastator one of the cheaper dragons. It happens to work really nicely with Revaz just as a mana sink. Yeah. Smoldering Egg is a fascinating one, and it's another card that incentivizes specifically playing uh, instant and sorcery payoff. Um, so for those who don't remember, it's uh, one in a red for an 0-4 defender. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a number of ember counters on it equal to the number of mana spent to cast that spell. Then if it has seven or more Ember counters, it flips into the Ashmouth Dragon, uh, which is a 4-4. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, it deals two damage to any target. Uh, this was really good in a blue-red spells deck in, like, yeah. standard. Um, and it is a dragon on the front side, which is oh, really oh, important. Yeah. yeah, it's a dragon egg. That's relevant. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So maybe there's a shell there. This is the second card we have found with Synergy dual casting spells alongside Murk type Regent. Yep. Oh, Sprite Dragon as well. I mean, that's the other cheap dragon. Yeah. The The problem with all of these is I think none of these cards wants to be in the Rivaz deck because he doesn't contribute yeah. to your instances or sorceries anyway, and these don't need him to get cast. So, dissynergy with, with the, the actual build around card, unfortunately. So, this is something I was discussing. That maybe we should consider for the next project, where maybe it's more of a conceptual thing than the card itself. And people, and whenever people make the proposition, they can make that known. Maybe the, the person submitting Rivas actually wanted to play Dragon Tribal and chose Rivas as its, you know, head of state, as it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, the mascot. To propose that idea as the mascot, yeah. Rivas was the mascot for Dragon Tribal. Well... Well, they're getting the Dragon Tribal episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They I, yeah exactly. I'm not saying that, but... <laughs> they're getting a catalog getting, of all the Dragon cards. They are getting Dragon Tribal, but they're not getting maybe Iset Dragon deck that maybe would have been of their interest. Right. And that's fine. So for everybody hearing for the next monthly project, if you just chose the card as a mascot, let us know because we are going to give you what you asked. And you asked for Rivas, and we're going to give you Rivas. 
Definitely. Uh, but we can also just spin off into doing Dragon Tribal later on if, we, if any of those ideas are yeah. truly exciting. Anyway, we've got a, uh, an entry here that's just all the cheap changelings. So that's what Mord is going to be all about. Uh, him and Anthony are going to uh, swap over to doing Dragon Changeling. I'm just going to recruit Anthony on my bad ideas. Of course. Appropriate naming. He plays bad decks. He plays bad decks. He's really good at bad decks. The two best dragons in Magic cost two mana. That's Murktai Regent and Cyan of Draco. Unfortunately, these cards don't need any help. Like, they don't, they don't work with dragons. <laughs> they are not dragons. The reason they're good is because they don't play well with other dragons. <laughs> <laughs> on their soul they are in dragons right i mean i guess sign of draco you could play that with other dragons there's no reason why you can't yeah if you're gonna build um modern rivaz then i would play sign of draco in a domain shell most likely because yeah. i can't imagine that you wouldn't be playing five colors the problem is you're likely playing five colors alongside nim is it no, no, um, alongside maybe a tribal mana base. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, but Rivaz not being part of that tribe uh, means that maybe you oh, should. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And his double color. Why isn't right. Rivaz a dragon? Who had this idea? Yeah, exactly. That's a very good question, but that's okay. It's neither here nor there. If you're willing to go up to three mana on the curve, you get some sort of plausible creatures. Nadar, Selfless Paladin, just like a random 3-3 that ventures into the dungeon. Dragon Turtle, blue, blue, one for a 3-5 flash that taps itself and something else for a turn. Very weird card. Phyrexian Dragon Engine, we've talked about it a couple times. It's one of the few cards that seems like slightly okay on rate and just happens to be a dragon and has useful abilities. Now, unfortunately, it, it doesn't really work with Rivaz the way that we want, we want it to. Rivaz's mana doesn't Contribute to the Unearth. If you cast Phyrexian Dragon Engine using Ravaz's Lurus Clause, you won't get to draw the cards, which is also very sad. But nevertheless, I mean, if we need to like fill out the deck to get to a certain quota of 14, 16, 20 dragons, I think it's very likely that we'll be playing this card just as like a, a body. Suddenly, Natar, the Paladin Dungeon Runner, is not great. I just love the card, and I just never have an excuse to run a dungeon deck. Well, no, it's a white card that is, isn't it supposed to be really broken? Isn't this taking over legacy? No. Uh, nope. I know. I, I, can, is, no. I know. Okay. It's, it, this is not gaining the initiative. It's just venturing. <laughs> I mean, someone 5 0 with Nadar alongside initiative because the opponent took the initiative, they stole it from them, and they advanced with cards that advanced the dungeon. Right. So it's a mirror breaker. It's a mirror For breaker. legacy. Exactly. Like, like Kikishi. Good. Um, we've got one of my favorite cards in the in the mid-sized dragons that I'm really excited about is Timeless Dragon. Uh, as as if we're going higher up the curve, I'm a huge fan of Timeless Dragon, and I would love to see it in a in a, in a in a deck. But I just don't know if it meshes well with Ravaz. Yeah, it's like put it as an honorary four drop. That's if you eternalize it. Yeah, you'll have to pay full price for that with Ravaz. If you just cast it, it's five. Um, not so good. And, and with Rivas, you can cast it for three, which isn't irrelevant. Turbo is a false three or two, which is insane. And I would actually love to recast whenever possible. Obsidian Charmo. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, like these modern-only dragons are they're actually quite good, but yeah. Rivas is probably not going to make it into those decks. Right. I mean, 
In any deck I'm running Rivas, I'm running Charbo on the sideboard. Like, that's a... If I'm playing Modern in Changelings even, I'm crushing Tron via three or four Charmos in my sideboard. I'm crushing Amulet by going Tron and Amulet. Sagan, I'm going. Turn to Magda, attack, get a treasure, Charmo. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of intrigued by the card Or Scale Guardian. It gets cheaper for every land in your own graveyard. So if I, for, for some reason, if I were like self-milling... <laughs> And then, like, I played a Ravaz, and I had also at some point self-milled the Oroscale Guardian. Hmm. You could cast it for potentially just two mana. Well, you do have Sarkin. Uh, Sarkin Fireblood discards card. You could play Bitter Union in your dragon deck. Uh, there are plenty of powerful dragons that do not have haste uh, for good reasons. Some of them have attack triggers or whatnot. So it's possible you could do things that way. And we have incentive to discard because Ravaz lets us cast from the graveyard. So. There is a reason to do all the things you're saying. In the midsize section, I mean, Galazeth Prismari is a card that David and I really like. Although, I mean, that's that spells matter thing. I don't know why there's so many spells matter dragons. That's very strange to me. Um, they're most Iset. Like, Iset has always been linked some for some reason to both spells and dragons. We can only need Iset for that. Also, red has a lot of True. spell payoff things. So anytime they're making a big red creature with the spells payoff theme, they're like, what type is this going to be? Uh, no, it's a dragon. It's, of course it's a dragon. Big red creatures are always dragons. Pretty much. Or like ogres or, or orcs or giants. Hmm. So other mid-size four mana dragons. I mean, Nicol Bolas is fine. Yep. Moonvale Regent is kind of interesting to me. Uh, this is the one that lets you discard your hand and draw fresh cards every time you cast a spell. Yeah, and that's definitely going to put a lot of uh, a lot of lands in the graveyard. Or dragons in the graveyard. Right. For Rivaz to buy back. Right. And when it dies, you deal damage equal to any target equal to the number of colors among permanents you control. So uh, this both works quite well in limited color decks, but it also works really well in uh, decks with large numbers of colors. There's a pretty underwhelming cycle of dragons from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Um, some of them may be worth playing. Is there, are there any standouts there for you, Dan? Well, uh, the red one, Atsushi the Blazing Sky seems like it ought to synergize with cards like magda you know it dies and makes treasures yeah the white one you know that was in a 5-0 list a couple weeks back in pioneer not a particularly exciting card the black one when it dies you can get back a non-dragon creature which is meant to prevent looping but it can get back a revaz if when it dies that's kind of interesting mm. and both the kyodai the white dragon and uh Atsushi are four mana, which is just a really great sweet spot. Because even though uh, Ravaz does allow us to accelerate, it's great to have these being uh, actually somewhat feasibly castable without him, right? Um, there are turns where you're going to be able to play a dragon out of the graveyard and a card out of your hand because of that. Like if you yeah. have a Ravaz, you have access to like, you know, five, six, seven mana. Um, so you can make a lot of powerful double spell turns. Uh, which I know you love, Dan. Who doesn't love a good double spell turn? Mm -hmm. We did get a special note from D Jeff MTG, who's already been testing a couple different Revaz lists in our Discord, about the card Leyline Tyrant. I was just looking at that one. Uh, this card is not on my radar at all. I couldn't even tell you what it does, but 
They want that dude to lose money. Since I'm looking it up. Yeah, so it's <laughs> two red red for a 4-4 four, four flyer. You don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end. And when Leyline Tyrant dies, you may pay any amount of red. When you do, it deals that much damage to any target. So this should uh, affect mana from both Sarkin and Rivaz as long as it's red. Um, the yeah, problem but you is you can't sunk it into yes. The-, the problem is you can't use it on the uh, trigger when it dies. So you you do get to retain the mana, which could theoretically be useful in some ways. So if you have large dragons that you eventually want to play, uh, if you want to be double spelling on future turns, depending on how you draw, there are reasons that this could be reasonable. Or cast the biggest human devastator the world has ever seen. Right. There, there you go. See, there's another great uh, example. What if you have a Shivan Devastator in your graveyard and then you pool a little bit of extra mana from a couple different turns and then you throw a giant ball lightning into play? Yeah. I mean, if you're on like turn four or five, I can, like you have a Rivas, you cast a Sarkhan, you use that mana for a ley line, you have like four spare mana, untap the extra and cast like a 13 13 haste. Right. Not bad. TBH. Not bad. So that's the four mana options. Once we get to five mana, we're basically looking at the top of the curve. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to specifically ramp three to six with Rivaz, you you might also look at the six mana dragons. There are some powerful cards here, some playable cards. Um, Korvald, Faker's King, Niv Mizzet Reborn, Zach mentioned Glorybringer already. I mean, all three of these have at, at different times had important roles to play. Some of them even spawn their own archetypes. Looking at Niv here, who hmm. incidentally can find Rivaz. That's very nice. Korvold's just a powerful card by himself, but you know, he'll, 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 he can sacrifice things which Rivaz can get back. Do you like any of these other five drops here? Goldspan synergizes with Magda. Uh, if you're playing that combination of cards. Um. Yeah. Goldspan. So the five drops are like the, Biggest power ratio dragons, like they're the most playable ones generically. Yeah, this is like the sweet spot as far as I'm concerned. So there's a lot of really powerful ones. Terror the Peaks, that's pretty pretty impressive in a number of different scenarios. I've always liked Storm Breath Dragon as mm-hmm. a sideboard tech against blue white. Oh yeah, Dragon Lord Ojutai is decent. Um, Imrith Desert Doom, if you're not playing specifically blue white, that's like a Mono blue version of Dragon Lord Ojutai. I know it's on six, but Niv Mizzet Perun is is just bonkers. I mean, that card is hmm. nuts. Insane. Um, if if you end up in a space where you are playing any reasonable amount of instances and sorceries, this card is bonkers. Yeah, both Niv Mizzet Perun and Inferno of the Star Mounts are interesting because they can't be countered and they cost six, so they're right on that three to six curve that Ravaz enables. Right, and so does Sarkin. So we've really got like that is the sweet spot, right? Uh, in, as far as we're kind of thinking about it, I suppose so. Yeah, let's be greedy. Let's just imagine well, the perfect I mean, curve out. You know, uh, you always say let's imagine like the most powerful outcome for these cards, and then I do. Let's say, you know, what what can we do to actually get there? First of all, is that good enough? Well, casting Niv Mizzet Perun, depending on the matchup, is insane. Um, there's not a lot of decks in Pioneer that have great removal to remove it, and no matter what they do uh, to remove it, it's going to be at least a two-for-one, because you're going to draw a single card and get a ping. Um, 
And you can only imagine it be getting better from there. Uh, now, the density of spells in our deck is going to be a little bit low for Niv-Mizzet, potentially. Uh, we also have a Faithless Brewing slash Mana Symbol channel slash More to Light channel achievement unlocked to get with Infer Inferno of the Star Mounts, because it's got an insane trigger of red. Uh, give it plus one plus O until end of turn. When its power becomes 20 this way, it deals 20 damage to any target. I don't think that's a reasonable thing to do, but I want to do it. <laughs> Point the twenty damage at like a a mana dork or something. Yeah, sure, and then just kill them with your twenty power dragon attacking. Um, I mean, Sarkin and uh, Rivaz can't help us with that, so probably just a pipe dream, right? I mean, it's a pipe dream. It's the pipest of dreams, but who doesn't dream of sometimes getting twenty mana sink into a fire breathing ability? Right, and not winning. And there's a number of other Dragon Lords here. Um, I'd like to highlight again Coligan. Dragon Lord Coligan has a trigger uh, that is whenever a player casts a spell that shares a name with uh, a card in their graveyard, they take 10. Uh, in most constructed formats, that ability is not okay. It's so gross. It's it's very good. It's very powerful. Um, so... If it's relevant, it's devastating. It's one of those, it doesn't tend to matter, but oh, when it does in which constructed format are people not playing a lot of four ofs it's not that many so no no but the thing is a lot of the time unless they have exactly played a copy of their removal they're planning to use on dragon or colagan they can just hold it yeah but he doesn't die to a lot of single copies of removal at least not in pioneer maybe maybe in modern yeah. certainly does i suppose but they're going to take at least 10 for doing it so and you know in a lot of games they've already played some of their removal earlier in the game all right, so this is all the research phase, the theory phase, trying to figure out what we're working with when we're dealing with dragons. And we're just at the start of this project. This is going to go on for the rest of the month. But maybe before we go, we should leave you with at least a couple deck lists to get the gears turning. So what do you guys think? We've got a bunch of deck lists that people have been working on in our Discord already, some with actual testing results already behind them. Maybe we should each just pick one and sort of talk through what's going on here. Well, I, I definitely think that we should touch on this brew from uh, brewmaster himself, David Robertson, who, of course, took us right to where we need to be. He took it home. He took it home, like straight <laughs> okay. home for the first path. He took it to Niv-Mizzet Reborn. Take me there. Played with a beautiful selection of interactions. So we've got four fatal push, four thoughtsies. Uh, so for those who are not aware... There was a small time in Pioneer where Niv-Mizzet Reborn was the scourge of the format, and it played multiple copies of Thoughtseize in the main deck. Um, this is playing four Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push, four Sylvan Karyatid, again, a staple of those decks, two Abrupt Decay, sorry, three Abrupt Decay and one Dreadbore, uh, three Kiora Behemoth Beckoner, three Rivaz of the Claw, two Dragon Horde, Dragon's Horde, sorry, uh, four copies of Niv-Mizzet Perun, uh, three copies of Dragonlord Ojutai. That uh, looks like two copies of Dragonlord Silumgar, one copy of Dragonlord Jamoka, and one copy of Dragonlord Atarka. So uh, a number of um, different color paired Dragonlords uh, all up the curve. Uh, Kiora also drawable by Niv-Mizzet. So we have multiple ways to ramp to five on turn four between Kiora and Dragon's Horde. That we can play either of those on three. We also have Sylvan Carrioted. We also have Ravaz. So it's uh, 
looks like 12 different ramp cards on turn two and turn three reasonable interaction and some huge payoffs assuming we can resolve Niv-Mizzet. uh in the land base there's even some plaza of heroes which is an exciting choice mm-hmm. um i'm gonna call it that two plazas just making their stunts i don't know if haven and the spirit dragon wouldn't just be a better card um i guess time will tell on that one i can never notice maybe this is just me being a complete idiot that all the dragons from Teros are Dragon Lord. I just knew them as Oshutai, Droboka, Sidemgar, and Atarka. And when I looked at the card, I knew it was like Dragon Lord Atarka, but I never realized it was all of them. These are the ones from Dragons of Tarkir, yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Exactly, not from Teros, from Khans. Right, so in Fate, in Fate Reforged, they all had just their name followed by a title. In in Dragons yeah. of Tarkir, they all became the Dragon Lords, Dragon which Lord. replaced the Cons. That was the that was the the big thing. Yeah, I just never noticed, and I feel dumb. Now that I look at all of them together, I'm like, oh, that that's sense. how you could tell the difference between the versions. Is one is name title, the other one is Dragon Lord name. Okay. Yeah, certainly didn't get to play at that time, but I would have loved that. Hmm. So. Reva's niv makes total sense conceptually, but you do have to add a lot more dragons than niv would normally do. So in order to make Reva's good, David had to add seven random dragons that are gold. <laughs> so the Ojutais, the Selengars, Trimbulka, and Atarka. David had to go up to full four copies of niv Reborn, and that means that in the list as he's conceived it, there's actually no room for Bring to Light. So we're giving up some of or a lot of what makes the Mizzet actually powerful. I'm wondering if we need to like compromise a little bit more, put the Brink Lights back in, put the Tibalt back in, and you know where do those thoughts come from? Well, you probably trim Akira, you probably trim Dragon's Horde, I hate to say it, and some of these one-man interactions, just to make sure that you know you don't want to like peter out in the middle late game. I think that you have a lot of big problems with that. One of it is just Rivaz won't be able to cast the Bring Delight at all, right? So at that point, you suddenly go, why am I playing this card at all? Um, you cut down on the number of dragons. Well, I didn't suggest cutting any dragons, though. Oh, okay. Well, still. I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not decreasing the dragon density. Right, right. I just, I, I don't think Bring Delight is the right direction to go. And I think Dragon Lord Ojutai is kind of meant to fill in that gap. Um, in that it is a fairly powerful draw engine. Every time you attack and connect with it, it uh, impulses. I think that's correct. And it has hexproof yeah. when uh, when it's untapped. So it's a pretty difficult card to deal with in Pioneer. If I'm not mistaken, Dragon Lord Oshita was used to be played with the land that untapped it. They want to untap the untapped legendary creatures. Oh, uh, Minama. Yeah, but that's not Pioneer legal. No, no, I know, I know. This is Damon's Ojutai commander deck. He's always getting me with that oh, damn combo. Sure. <laughs> Untapping his Ojutai. I really like the look of this one. Um, I don't know if two Dragonlord Silumgars is the right place to be. Uh, oh, no, that's Dragonlord Silumgar, not Silumgar Drifting Death. So this is the one that uh, you, you get to grab one of your opponent's creatures or planeswalkers uh, until it leaves the battlefield. Yeah, that's the Steelac creature. Yeah, so it's it's, it's This one is good. much better. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I really like the look of this. Well, I mean, if you test it, keep in mind that anytime Niv resolves and doesn't win the game, you should consider whether Bring to Light would have won the game. Right. Part of what makes Niv powerful is finding Bring to Light, and if you don't have that option in the deck. I mean, I under- 
I understand that in the old Niv decks, but Niv isn't doing a lot of winning recently. Whereas I think hmm. this deck is distinctly different from the old Niv decks and can be quite powerful. This is not a bring to light deck at all. Whereas I think Niv in a lot of cases became a bring to light deck where bring to light for Niv was one of your best choices, but frequently wasn't what you're doing. You were bringing to light for Supreme Verdict and then Niv Mizzet, I guess, would find you your your card advantage to recruit recoup. This deck's not going to be able to play a sweeper like that. Um, although it could play a Crux of Fate if you manage to get Bring to Light in there. That'd be fun. All right, so that is Niv Mizzet Rivaz from David. I will highlight a list from DJF MTG, who we mentioned a little bit earlier. So DJF MTG already tested a couple different builds. The first one was not so successful, but the second build already incorporated some important lessons. So this build, we're in Mardu colors, and we're just trying to jam a bunch of dragons, namely Glorybringers, Goldspan dragons. We talked about Kiyodai, the soul of Kamigawa. We talked about the Leyline Tyrant, and two copies of Atsushi, the Blazing Sky. There's even one Lathless Dragon Queen and one Dragon Lord Kolagon at the top end. How can you possibly afford to play all these expensive dragons? Well, in addition to your Rivaz of the Claw, three copies, you have Sarkon Fireblood, four copies. So rule of seven, we might say, for this dragon ramp. In order to not die, Orator of Ojutai comes into play. That's the Defender 04 bird with flying that draws a card. Most likely you'll have the dragon in your hand in this deck. Some spot removal in the form of Fatal Push and Dread Boars. And a couple of Kalias whose main job is to just be a body that finds a dragon. DJF wrote that they got a solid 2-3 finish in their league with this, uh, but it was quite close in all of its matches. Impressive showing from Leyline Tyrant and the 4-drops in general, whereas the 6-drops seemed to underperform. So one of the proposed changes was to actually lean more on the 2-drop into 4-drop curve. So that is to say put in the Orb of Dragonkinds, focus on having strong 4-mana dragons, and just forget about the 6-drops. Now, does that mean that you'll have to trim some of the Sarkons in Rivaz? Yeah, probably, but... I mean, this is why we test it. We have to respond to what the deck actually needs, and it seems that this deck actually just needs to get its 4-drops down more quickly. Yeah, and Orb of Dragonkind being immune to most removal is definitely uh, appealing. No comment here on the value of Orator of Ojutai, which I'm really interested in, but, uh, or Kalia, right? Oh, no, say, sorry, Kalia was impressive as well, but he doesn't think he wants more than two. That makes a lot of sense to me. No news is good news, I think, about that sort of card. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I, and it's one of those things where, um, we know that Pioneer is super bifurcated in terms of the matchup spread, so it's a really easy cut after game one if you're in the wrong matchup for it. Yeah. You just swap those out straight up for thought seizes or what have you. And it's an 0-4, which if you play red sweepers in your sideboard, uh, will survive almost all of them. All right, Mar, what about you? Any of these decks catch your eye that you want to highlight before we go? One in particular actually did... But sadly, I think the same one by D Chef. That's the one I like the more, the Mardu Shell playing a more mid range game. But also, I didn't completely disregard the Corbold, the Four Color Dragon Sacrifice, lower by Benjamin. 
Yeah, Benjamin Ng with the most innovative lists on here yeah. so far. Something really crazy with this Crucible of Fire deck. So it's a 4 Blood Tide, 3 Rivas, 4 Atushi, 1 Immerstrom, 1 Nicol Bolas, 1 Glorybringer. I think those are mostly flex posts trying which one is better. And 3 Corbold alongside the 4 Orb, 4 Farad Bush, 4 Thotsis, 2 Dreadboar, 4 Fable, and 1 Akron War. So a super mid-rangey shell who's just trying to use Rebash as a 2-for-1, getting back at Dushis or just hardcasting your Corbold easier. So whereas David was saying, okay, Niv-Mizzet Reborn, that's the most powerful dragon, Benjamin is saying, well, actually Corvold is the more successful dragon these days, and Corvold actually works nicely with Rivaz playing from the graveyard, Corvold sacking at Sushi, the Blazing Sky also makes sense. Yeah. Blood Tithe Harvester is just a you know a decent turn two play that gives you the fodder you need um, for your core vault eventually. And you also have below it also by Benjamin. This is the one I was talking about. This exactly. is this is this is nutty. This is super nuts. Yeah. Shiva Devastator, Mask Vandal, Metallic Mimic, Dragon Engine, Real Walker Rivas. So not a single dragon over three CMC. Four Crooks of Fate, four Crucible of Fire, four Elder Dragon War. Sorry, the only dragon over 4 CMC is the Elder Dragon War. So I'd said earlier that the cheap changelings were not really a thing in Pioneer, but I may be wrong because Benjamin has somehow found enough cheap changelings between mm. Masked Vandal, Metallic Mimic, and Realm Walker to sort of make it happen. Yeah, I think Crux of Fate seems super questionable in this deck at 5 mana with no way to cast it, and 26 land seems a bit high. But a Crucible of Fire deck with some cheap changelings and Shivid Devastator is like, okay, you can, you can make that happen. I don't know if 4 Crucible of Fate is the right way to be, but... Wait, are you talking about the Crux of Fate or the Crucible of Fire? There's four of each. I, both of them. I, I don't know if Crux of Fate should be in this deck and Crucible of Fire. I don't know should you, if you need to have four. But who knows? Well, you got to get your power somewhere, and I feel like Crucible of Fire should be that power. Sure. Uh, I could imagine switching out Crux of Fate for Bitter Reunion. What? Why? <laughs> well, I don't see Crux of Fate being particularly playable in this deck, and it's one of the only cards that's forcing you to go up to 26 lands. Mm. And Bitter Reunion plus Realm Walker or Rivaz of the Claw with Phyrexian Dragon Engine seems like a lot of fun to me. Because you sack it to give your board haste when you're playing things out of your graveyard that don't have haste when you're playing things off the top that don't have haste. With Metallic Mimic in play, you could play one or two or three creatures off the top of your battlefield or off the top of your library if you have enough mana and then haste them all. Okay, I, I see your point about the crux of fate maybe not needing to be here in such quantities, but the bitter reunion doesn't quite synergize enough. Like I, I'd almost want to lean in more. Let's just say, okay, this is a crucible of fire deck. I sure. need to get on the board with as many dragons as possible and just focus on that. But anyway, yeah, it's cool to think about, is this even possible? Right. And yeah, Benjamin doing some neat stuff here. Uh, really excited with their lists. Yeah. Really out there. Wild brewing here for mutable in the mana base. Like that's, Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just going. But in three colors, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so those are just a few of the ideas that people in our Faithless Brewing Discord are already tossing around. And there's more. I mean, there's an enigmatic incarnation list from First Turn Negator. There's a Junge Dragons list focusing on Korvald and Immerstorm Predator from 
Spencer horchata in a bag. I'm excited to see where this goes. I mean, the results are slowly rolling in and we're just getting started. We're definitely going to start working on putting some 60s or 75s or 95s together in Mord's case. And yeah, we'll see where this project goes. Oh, I miss the 95s. Don't remind me of them. We still cry the death of the 95s. I can't wait for people to ask Mord why he's not playing playing uh, Urian with Rivaz's mana. Urian's a noodle dragon, right? That's his creature types? Yes, noodle, noodle, noodle dash dragon. dragon. But it, it's, it's a hyphenated, <laughs> so it's actually a single word. Uh, oh. So yeah. my biggest thing with Urian regarding creature types, it's the fact it's a serpent and not a snake, and Quarrel is a snake and not a serpent, or the other way around. And I can cover no souls for both, which makes absolutely right. no sense, because they're the fucking same creature types as one is being. Right. Also, uh, Urian getting sacrificed to uh, Coma is one of the craziest things I've ever seen happen. Someone got blown out by that, and I was like, holy shit, that sucks. It's a serpent, that's what? It's a serpent! You can sacrifice it to Coma Cosmo Serpent to give it indestructible until end of turn. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. For those players in Pioneer playing that deck, if you didn't know, uh, uh, you're welcome. All right, I think that's where we have to leave it here for today. We'll have to take a rain check on those sweet modern lists. They're in the extended notes for those of you who are members of our Patreon. You get bonus content there. You can always check out uh, some of the latest technology. But we have to leave you here for today, and we will report back on any developments on Revaz in the coming weeks. Yeah, thanks so much, everybody, for hearing. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to give our best with Remas. With Remas? With Rivas. With Rivas. I, I gave it a name for some reason. Thanks so Rivas. much. Um, Rivas. Rivas. Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya.